All right, we ready right now. So we got Christopher 2X on the line. How you doing, brother? I'm fine. I, I really appreciate you, brother Kill, reaching out to the Christopher 2X Game Changers organization in regards to your podcast. And uh, I'm just happy to be with you, my friend. Yes, and I know the people of Louisville really appreciate all the work that you've done over the years. Can you give us a, a brief description of exactly what do you do in the city of Louisville? Right. So uh, let me start with this. First of all, it's been a two-decade journey publicly, uh, you know, and that two-decade journey, uh, 20 years, brother, has entailed a lot, to be quite frank with you all. And so I would never uh, bore your listening audience with the smorgasbord of things that I've uh, been connected to um, over the years as it relates to children and family issues. Right. But everybody can go to 2xgamechangers.org, 2xgamechangers, with the S, dot O-R-G. Go to our website, and you all can thumb through there and get more information about uh, some of the work. Uh, and, of course, it's been a lot of work over the years, dear brother, and everything couldn't be put up on the website. But at the end of the day, I would describe my work as uh, peace, and justice advocacy work, Brother Kill, but equally at the same time, what I really pride myself in is bringing about healing and some level of hope as it relates to challenges, especially uh, in connection to those who are really challenge, challenged, excuse me, in poor communities. Oh, I understand. I first heard about you when, uh, when the young man, uh, Ivan Kano, when he ended up uh, becoming missing, when he was found, that's how I first found out about you. That was what. Yeah, uh, little Cesar Ivan Cano, absolutely, right. brother. Yeah, that's how I first found out about you back then. And then, whenever we have tragedies in the city, I would see you there, uh, posted up with the family, speaking for them. You know, like you said, just being an advocate, just being there. And I know we had the the tragedy a few months ago with Breonna Taylor, and I know you've been working with with her family, and you did an interview with the news a couple of days ago about, uh, about the, now the jurors can, can speak publicly. Can you speak about that? Yeah. So the storyline that uh, you're explaining to your uh, podcast audience, brother, is in regards to the grand jurors uh, who in September um, of 2020 this year, of course, uh, to be exact, dear brother, September 21st, 22nd, and then they deliberated on the early morning of that Wednesday, September 23rd, before they went, rendered their decision in uh, that grand jury proceeding, um, which unfortunately only uh, spoke to uh, one specific situation, and that was to the indictment of Officer Brett Hankison, who was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment in connection with bullets flying into another apartment in that complex. Right. None or zero charges were connected in that particular grand jury proceeding in connection to anybody being held accountable for taking the life of uh, Breonna Taylor. Or even, or even excuse me, even in uh, wanton endangerment charges being lodged against anybody in connection to the bullets that were flying everywhere in that apartment. So again, the storyline you're alluding to is the grand juror uh, request 
to speak out several days after the decision. And so that went through a court process, uh, Brother Hill. And just this past Tuesday, on the 20th of October, there was a ruling for from Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Annie O'Connell to speak to the grand juror one, as we described, request to allow grand jurors to speak out in this case if they choose to, which is so rare, so profound, so unthinkable that the unthinkable has happened. One, grand juror one requested that through a court filing. Grand juror two, who contacted me on October the 3rd, on a Saturday evening through a mutual friend, joined in with grand juror one to ask that their voices be uh, lifted from the silence of being a, a part of a grand jury. And again, on Tuesday, October the 20th, Judge uh, Jefferson Circuit Judge Annie O'Connell granted them and those 12 jurors that right to do so if they choose to do it. And it was a profound ruling. And then A.G. Cameron, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, uh, the Attorney General for the state of Kentucky, um, he responded uh, later that evening and decided that he would not appeal to the appellate court. She ruled on two specific things to give clarity to your audience, brother. One was the whole idea of the grand juror speaking at the request of grand juror one who filed. Secondly, she ruled on a motion put in by Attorney General Daniel Cameron and his team to try to at least keep the grand jurors from talking, which is described as a stay. In other words, if you all win this round with the judge, we want to appeal this directly to the appellate courts to put in a stay for not allowing you all to talk yet through this goes, um, until this case goes through the Court of Appeal. And it could have went all the way to the Kentucky Supreme Court. But what Attorney General Daniel Cameron did on the same evening of Tuesday, October the 20th, Brother Keel, he sent out a statement from his office and then put it out on Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, that he disagreed with Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Annie O'Connell's decision, but he was not going to appeal it. Okay. which shocked a lot of individuals, including myself, because I thought for sure that he was going to appeal that decision earlier in the day. And so, essentially right now, the grand jurors, if they choose to, whether they keep their names out of uh, you know the public or not, they have the right to speak on what happened specifically in the grand jury in connection to the Breonna Taylor shooting. Do you know when those jurors are going to decide to come out and start speaking? Well, yeah. Let me give your audience audience clarity on, on, on a few things on that, brother. Okay. So, Brother Kill on Friday, September 25th, two days after the official announcement from the grand jury through A.G. Cameron, I was contacted by grand juror one who we're describing in his family. And then on, again, October 3rd, I was contacted by grand juror two. And of course, we sought, sought through some things 
to get this in the best place it could be, and it ended up in the hands of legal counsel, which is attorney Kevin Glogauer, who is also uh, a longtime friend of mine uh, for over a decade now. Okay. And Kevin is a very powerful uh, advocate for uh, those who uh, seek out his help as far as uh, having a voice on different issues. And even when they're challenged with uh, some um, judicial issues within a court setting. And so um, the goal now, as it relates to the ruling, and to get to your specific question, is when will they feel comfortable about sharing their testimonies and in what way will they share those testimonies? So we're working on that as we speak. We will be meeting with them uh, here in the next day. Uh, and we will see, based on Grand Jury 1 and Grand Jury 2, where they want to go with this as far as sharing public testimonies about their experience and why they wanted to come forward to at least share some things about some things they weren't feeling so good about as, a re- as a related to the results of what that grand jury sent back after the deliberations in regards to the Breonna Taylor shooting, brother. So we should have clarity here in the next day or so on uh, where they want to go with their public testimony. Okay. A, a lot of things have been covered up, and LMPD had so many mistakes that they made. Do you think more of the mistakes and the issues that they try to cover up will be exposed once these jurors start speaking? I believe, Brother Kill, that that is an ongoing process as it relates to the public integrity uh, unit report. As it relates to the ongoing, I might, I might as well include this, there is an ongoing federal investigation that I engage myself and partners with uh, Christopher 2X Game Changers organization where we are having transparency conversations with uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, in short, the FBI, where the FBI is looking into, it, it did Breonna Taylor's civil rights get violated or not? As it relates to the March 13th shooting and before the officers even came into her, her, her apartment, as it relates to the warrant process and everything that that entails, and even after the shooting. So with the federal investigation still in full bloom and we started our engagement with them in behalf of Brianna's mother, Tamika Palmer, on June 1 when I set up the first public uh, interaction with the FBI and then uh, the follow-up was on August the 4th at FBI headquarters and then there was the uh, conference call we had with them on Sunday, October 4th, just recently. And we've got some more things planned moving into uh, their potential decision coming up in 2021. But to answer your question about the investigative things that uh, could lead to any cover-up descriptions, uh, I would say this. One, those investigations are still uh, work in progress as it relates to the grand jurors, Brother Keel. I think they just want to speak to, and I know they want to speak to, how they felt about evidence presented to them and how they felt about non-evidence presented to them to deliberate on 
the fate of the three officers involved, and could they could there have been, Brother Akil, extra charges in connection to the grand jury decisions that they were frustrated about, and how also they feel some of their words in the more public announcements from the AG were misrepresented. And that's uh, several things I know they want to speak to, but as it relates to the, again, and I hate to be redundant, but I will be, the specific questions of cover-up and things that don't look right with this investigation, those things are still being manifested as we speak. Right. Daniel Cameron, you mentioned him. Do you think he's been fair with this whole process as far as the charges and, and everything? Because it seems like he's like, I kind of don't care. I need to do what I need to do to cover my own self and, and get to the next level and, and please, you know, the good boys and stay on or stay on their good side. Unfortunately, that's been part of this conversation. And when I say unfortunately, dear brother, for everybody involved, because when you go on truth, dear brother, when you go on the fairness effort, then that's the way it will come out. And what's been so kind of convoluted now and so kind of all over the place is was fairness applied to this whole process or not? I remember when I organized with the lawyers of Breonna Taylor and the family members of Breonna Taylor, specifically Tamika Palmer and her daughter, uh, Breonna Taylor's little sister, Janiya Palmer, and her sister, Bianca Austin. I organized that first meeting face-to-face with them with Attorney General Cameron and his team on August the 12th of this year. And the goal there was is for the Attorney General and his team to take time and look to Mika Palmer and them in the face and explain to them the fair process that they were taking us through. Well, of course, they were disappointed with the grand jury's decision on uh, September 23rd. And it raised the question of fairness or not. So um, for me personally, Brother Keel, I believe that there might have been a fair intent to take this through the right process. But the problem is, is that the results don't bear witness to that. And when they don't bear witness to that, Brother Keel, that's when the suspicions start to arise more and more. And I don't know clearly, Brother Kill, lastly on that question, how fair the process was or wasn't. Because, again, we're not at the advantage of knowing what investigators are doing and not doing. However, the appearance right now is not having people feel good as it relates to the process. Simple as that. I understand. Something you work really close with the family and if you could help clear up because there's a lot of false rumors and statements being made about Breonna Taylor, especially when I see it on Facebook on like WLKY and WHAS. Everyone says, oh, she was a drug dealer and this and that. And she was the kingpin and her boyfriend shouldn't have shot at the police. Can you explain to everyone how there was no drugs found? She had no record, you know. All of that, too, so we can put these to rest because people are, are putting yeah, dirt so, on so, Yeah, so for full understanding and disclosure for your, again, podcast audience here, brother, and whoever picks up your podcast in any kind of way that they do, uh, Tamika Palmer and their family got a hold of me on 
March 14th. This was the day after the shoot. Okay. And I've been with them ever since. And I've did what I needed to do based on my skill set for that family. And have did it with nothing but the heartfelt connection for her losing her daughter in such a brutal way. And I went into that dwelling a few days after that shooting, and I've been to many a crime scene, brother, an incident scene, and that one was uh, eye-popping at best in a sense, brother, kill, that it was just riddled with bullets. And as it relates to the questions about was Brianna into drug dealing or not, Brother, I have not found any strong evidence to date that would lead me to believe that Breonna Taylor was dealing drugs. And I would say, matter of fact, the U.S. Postal Inspector, way back around April or so, brother, in a WDRB interview with a longtime working uh, relationship collaborator that I've worked with for almost two decades, and that's Jason Riley, who is a former print reporter and journalist for the Cure Journal newspaper here locally in uh, Metro Louisville, but now is with WDRB Digital Online. Uh, He did an interview with the postal inspector, and the postal inspector said that their uh, investigation concluded that Breonna Taylor never got any strange packages or any packages that would suggest coming to her apartment that she was into dealing drugs. So when the feds say that, I've got to take that at a level of uh, seriousness. Right. And equally at the same time, Brother Keel, as it relates to Kenneth Walker and Kenny firing that round, as he described, thinking intruders were coming into that dwelling. We've got to, at some level, give him the benefit of the doubt. It's hard for me to believe that he, if he would have knew they were LMPD officers or detectives, he would have just shot at the police. Right. I don't see his character being like that. Now, somebody else can say what they want. But me personally, and I'm not around Kenny all the time, but I met him. I met his family, his mother and father. She just doesn't fit that scenario of wanting to have a shootout with the police. I've got a problem with that one for sure. And equally at the same time, Brother Kill, until somebody can come, some individuals, excuse me, or somebody can come up with stronger evidence. And to be honest with you, the FBI, as as of right now, hasn't gave me any indication that they suggested that she was in a drug dealing. Somebody needs to come up with stronger evidence before they can really try to sit on that kind of accusation and make it stick in a serious way. So basically, it's just running rampant talk, and it's not any serious evidence connected to it. Did she have a relationship with one Jamarcus Glover? And I met Jamarcus Glover. Yes. And Jamarcus Glover told me straight up, she had nothing to do with my affairs, Mr. 2X. I'm telling you that straight up, bro. And that's what he told me. And this was almost several days after Brianna lost her life. I talked to Jamarcus on the phone. I met Jamarcus in person when he came to an organized uh, kind of powwow balloon release 
and kind of moment of silence for Brianna in the early days before all this media attention nationwide, worldwide, locally. And again, uh, nobody has gave me an indication that she, per se, was dealing drugs. In the hood, do we have relationships where we kick it with people who might be into something? That's not uncommon in the hood. However, don't be saying she's doing that because we have family members and everybody else that we connect to who might be into that. It, that's not fair, period. Right. Thank you for, for clearing that up. And I, I know uh, you have a lot going on today, and I want to say thank you for, for calling in and, and explaining, you know, all of this information. We've, we've talked about the Brianna situation a few times on here, but not as in-depth as, as you gave it. So I well, you that. you stay tuned and you follow up with me anytime with your podcast audience that you want to, Brother Kill, especially as we journey through the next step with the grand jurors and you get wind of something on that and you want to reach out to your brother for me to expand to you and your audience on that and equally as it relates to the federal investigation so we can get to the bottom line. And I've told the FBI this, that you are going to close the investigative chapter on the shooting of Breonna Taylor to let us all know, right. hopefully, did her civil rights get violated or not? And that's equally as important as a state investigation, my brother. Correct. And yeah, like you said, uh, next time I'm out here, we can meet up in person. You know, we can do a podcast because I want I want you to explain like yourself and like where you come from because in the city. Of and, Louisville, and I'll be happy to do it for you, brother Kiel. You got me always. You keep holding it down out in Cali and everywhere you're at. You got your brother anytime. And I have nothing but respect for your audience. Peace and blessings coming from Christopher 2X Game Changers Organization and its executive director, me, brother. All right. Thank you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye, my friend. Have a good day.